Welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland. For the very first time, uh, we are in back here uh, in the home studio, uh, how we will be doing it uh, from uh, here on out. Let's see if uh, Mikey is getting on top of things here. We'll still be putting out the podcast where all popular podcasts are found. So if you're used to listening to us at you know, speaker, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all of the popular podcast platforms will still be there. We are uh, live uh, now on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. Um, all Eyes on Cleveland is a podcast where uh, we interview the top personalities in the Cleveland and national sports landscape, discussing the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns. Uh, we do so with great guests. We've had uh, a, a ton of them. Did 52 episodes of the regular podcast before moving to um, what is now the live show. Uh, so uh, thank you all for uh, joining in and watching tonight if you're tuning in. And uh, uh, please, uh, as... I'm supposed to say now, hit the uh, subscribe button and the like button and the notification bell so that you can keep up with us uh, every time we go live. We have a show tonight uh, with the one and only Nick Shook from NFL.com. We'll be talking all sorts of Browns there, uh, and he'll be joining us in real time here in about 10 minutes. Um, and uh, that's generally how the format of the show goes. We'll do an intro. We'll do a impactful interview uh, with uh, a popular um, NFL Browns guest. Oftentimes in the weeks leading up to games, we'll get somebody from, uh, like last week's, we had a guy from uh, the Texans, Believe in Texans podcast, uh, former player uh, Henry Thomas uh, joined us for that uh, show. So uh, you can check all that out, uh, and uh, that's very cool. Um, I also want to urge you to go to the website, okay? Um, and Mikey, we're going to go ahead and, and kill the music there, sir. Thank you. Mikey's on the ones and twos, as usual, doing his thing uh, on the board here as we work this thing out for the first time, so bear with us. Uh, feel free to leave comments in the comments section. I'd be glad to... Uh, Read anything that you guys have to say. Uh, comments on things that you would like to see done better. That's, that's great. We would love to hear that. And if you think things are, are great, that's awesome too. Uh, you can go visit um, our, our website, which I would urge uh, you to do. Um, and I'm going to bring that up here now um, and check that out, okay? So... Uh, this is no, the website, okay? Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's, uh, you know, you've got your uh, intro here. And as I just kind of uh, read to you off the top there, uh, podcast that interviews top personalities in Cleveland uh, and national uh, sports landscape, Discussing the pressing issues that face our Cleveland Browns. Uh, you've got uh, your bet online there that we are uh, sponsored by Bet Online and Thrive Fantasy app. 
uh, Bet Online. Uh, we'll take a look at some of those odds after the interview today as far as MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. And then you can catch up on all of our episodes here. Um, as you see, they go down here with Jake Burns, uh, the great Jake Burns, uh, Texans preview with Henry Thomas, um, Self Scout Week with Sam Penix of PFF, Jeff Risden uh, over at the Browns Wire, and that's where I write as well. If you are new to the show, I write over at USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire on the Browns. Michael Ray Guy joined us. James Rapine did a Bengals uh, preview for their second uh, you know, a uh, matchup there, and you can, uh, you know, go to any of these links here, including uh, YouTube right here, uh, as a way to join that. And you can see right here that uh, apparently we are uh, showing up there on the Twitter feed at the bottom. Uh, the pot, and then the down here is the Facebook page. Um, you've, we've got all kinds of stuff up here. So we've got like pictures of everybody wearing, uh, let's see here, our, the All Eyes on Cleveland shirt. There's Eric Metcalf wearing the All Eyes on Cleveland shirt, uh, working on the office there. That's the other side of the, uh, self or the home studio that we threw together here for you. Uh, Ken Carmen been on the show, uh, uh, L- L.A. brought us uh, all these, uh, did a couple t-shirt gives away. There's Jeff Risden wearing the All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt. Uh, so cool stuff there. Um, we've got Bet Online, uh, which you can get on here and join here with a couple deals. Um, you can rate the show. You can contact us. Uh, and then we have all the episodes here. Plus, we've got swag. You saw the shirts there that everybody was wearing, and you can just go to the uh, store up here and check that out as well. Uh, the mission statement. I had somebody in the business told me we should do a mission statement for the show. So here's the mission statement for All Eyes on Cleveland. This is all on the website. It can be found on alleyesoncleveland.com. Uh, I will ambitiously use creativity and candor to provide an entertaining and insightful Incredible show to listeners and fans of the Cleveland Browns. All eyes on Cleveland. So there you have it. That is the uh, website. Check it out uh, when you feel free. Uh, It's pretty cool, and I hope you will enjoy that. So lots to talk about tonight. Browns are 6-3. Winners uh, in two weather games back-to-back in the weather uh, according to weather.com, uh, does not look good. Uh, well, better. Uh, 10 to 20 mile an hour winds for the Eagles game, uh, which is better than 50 mile an hour winds, certainly. Um, so that will be uh, an issue that we're going to talk to Nick about here is how do we evaluate Baker Mayfield in the couple days after uh, two uh, unfortunate, um, unfortunate weather games. Uh, And then, you know, also, um, you would also want to know how do we evaluate him going forward with the fifth-year extension? Uh, Do we make a decision on that? How do the Browns make a decision on that? What is Andrew Barry thinking? Six games, just six games left to evaluate Baker's play. A lot of that will uh, be talked about in the interview. We're going to talk about the defense. Uh, I wrote an article this week over at the Browns Wire. If you go to thebrownswire.com, USA Today Sports Media Group, and check it out about how the Browns incorporated the three-safety look. If you remember, defensive coordinator Joe Woods talked a lot in the preseason about using the three-safety look 
before Grant Delpit got hurt. Now, Delpit's out for the season with his injury, and uh, since then, we didn't hear much about it, just that he had desired to do so and never really incorporated it. Ronnie Harrison is playing great football, and what we saw after the bye week is in multiple times uh, in the game on Sunday is that they were able to uh, work three safeties into the mix um, and get... uh, they actually brought in Sheldrick Redwine, uh, opposed to Carl Joseph, which is kind of curious. But uh, you get the Sheldrick Redwine, uh, Andrew Sandejo, and Ronnie Harrison playing up towards the line of scrimmage in that kind of Viper setting uh, or Viper look. Uh, so that's uh, that's cool there. And um, we uh, will... Uh, uh, you know, keep an eye on that. But they were able to do that on third downs and generate some pressure on Deshaun Watson, uh, as well as um, play the run well. Um, it was nearly impossible to pass the ball in the winds. You know, from all accounts, that anything was that was thrown was knocked down. Uh, if you were going one direction, and then if you're going the other direction, it, the ball just sailed crazy with the 50 mile per hour winds uh, that were going on. Um, on Sunday. So, uh, Mikey over here, as I mentioned on the ones and twos, my name is Brad Ward. This is All Eyes on Cleveland live, uh, a Browns podcast uh, now going live uh, on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook live. We'll be joined shortly by our uh, special guest, Nick Shook of NFL.com. I've got lots of questions for Nick. And do that interview, and then we'll get get you uh, out of here after that. Uh, a couple points of reference at that point. Uh, a couple things that we want to uh, talk about also with Nick tonight while we're waiting for him, and a couple things that we want to bring up here. Um, one thing that seems to be uh, missing from the Browns football game. So we had in our last episode. We had uh, the the great uh, Jake Burns on with us, and Jake did an entire piece over at the OBR on the Browns' lack of using a uh, Kevin Stefanski's lack of using a screen game to this point in the season. Um, according to Next Gen Stats, uh, last season Mayfield um, was well above average when throwing to the deep middle with a passer rating of 106.3. In Stefanski's offense, which is highly play action, high rollouts, um, they have not challenged the middle of the field. And according to sharp focus stats, the Browns have only thrown seven passes all season to the deep middle of the field. Four for seven, two touchdowns, one interception by Mayfield throwing to the deep middle of the field. So um, that uh, is something to keep an eye on as they are failing to take advantage of the ability to throw the ball uh, to the deep middle of the field and use the screen game as Jake brought up in our interview last week. Now, um, for the first time since the AFC and NFC split uh, up uh, the... um, AFC has six teams at six and three. So, of course, when the Browns are good, 
Uh, you got a bunch of AFC teams all there at six and three, so that will be um, interesting. And uh, how this all shakes out. Now, a lot of this is going to shake out on its own because some of these teams play each other multiple times. Um, and that playoff picture should get better uh, the closer that we get to the end of the season. Browns are fortunate, as we know how their schedule goes. They will get, uh, I believe it, it'll go Philly, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Baltimore, and a huge Monday night game. Tennessee, Baltimore, two big tests. They haven't been able to win any of those games this year. That'll be huge for them to take that next step if they can get one of those games. But if they can beat just the teams that are under 500 at this point, they would go to uh, 10 wins. And uh, I would think that 10 wins this year would get them in um, the playoffs. Uh, at least I would like to think that. Generally, that would be the case, especially with seven teams getting in this year. Um, so, And we are just moments away from uh, Nick Shook joining us here on uh, the show uh, for tonight's interview. You're watching All Eyes on Cleveland live. Uh, our first, uh, if you can't tell, our first uh, live uh, experience here, live show. So, um, but yeah, so that is going to be huge as far as the AFC goes. Um, let's take a look at that a little bit further here. I'll get out my uh, questions for Nikki uh, as he should join us here momentarily. Uh, but yeah, you've got the AFC East. Um, at uh, seven and three, the Bills, the Dolphins at six and three. Surprisingly, AFC West, you got the Chiefs at eight and one, the Raiders at six and three, and then you've got our division nine and zero, oh, six and three, six and three. The Ravens falling to six and three after losing to the Patriots in a surprising loss. A little bit surprising. Um, let's see here. Let's see if I can do this appropriately. As uh, bear with me here, I am getting used to uh, all of this here. Uh, so if we uh, take a look here at uh, the standings, it's uh, Bills, Dolphins, uh, and then the Patriots at 4-5 and five, hanging on there. Chiefs, Raiders, Steelers, Ravens, Browns. And then now how about the Colts uh, sneaking in there at 6-3? and three. That Colts win looks pretty damn good at this point in the season for your Browns. Uh, so that uh, is something to keep an eye on there. Now, uh, they're going to play each other, I believe. You're going to get um, the Dolphins, who have a favorable f next four games. You know, they won five in a row now, um, and they look pretty legit. But they get four tough ones coming down the stretch. Uh, you would like to think the Browns take care of business. Uh, and under Stefanski, they've been able to do that, which has been surprising and helpful and, and awesome, actually, that he has been able to put together week in, week out, um, you know, play, uh, pardon me, game plans and uh, organized attacks against these teams to keep them in games with the exception of the Steelers and Ravens. And, of course, they're going to get Tennessee, which would be another chance to take down a team like that, even though they're floundering a bit with a very porous, porous defense at this point. Uh, and it looks like we do have Nick Shook here with us. We're going to bring him on the show. Uh, let me see if I can do this properly here. 
uh, and and bring him on. He is a writer at Around the NFL at uh, NFL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. Uh, and uh, Nick Shook, welcome to the show. How are we doing, Nick? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. What do you what do you think of the digs here? Okay, do it first time live show. So, what do you think? How's it How's it looking for you? So I, so I have my mom and I'm doing my weatherman impression here. Over here, you got a cold front. I have my monitor over <laughs> here because my desk is actually over here, and this is just it, where it's I okay. This is my backdrop for when I do you know network stuff and everything. So I just yeah, move yeah. over here with the tripod. So when I look over here, I'm actually looking at you. Um, but it looks good. I mean, you got your soundproof tiles in the wall. Got everything yeah. going well. You could probably do with a studio light, but overall, not bad for your first broadcast, no doubt. Yeah, I got a light over here. I didn't know which one really to use. It's kind of a little dark, right? Maybe, but yeah. uh, you know, we're, I mean, we're, we're I'm only, in. right now. Right now, I'm only using uh, just like a tall lamp in the corner, but because it's dark out and it's light that's coming from in front of me it's lighting me almost fully not entirely it, it stretches to about three-fourths of this room but i also have uh uh one of those i don't know more professional quality lights that um, basically my girlfriend uses and i just kind of borrow every once in a while when i need some some light but luckily when i do my on-air stuff um i got four windows in here so daylight i usually do during the day so the daylight is great you know th that's what they always say natural light's the best so you're on your way okay Natural light. That that's what I'll uh, I'll go for. Yeah, I got a lamp in the corner. I probably should have used it, but you know, I went this way. We'll we'll ride with it for tonight. But it's good to have you on the show, man. Thank you very much for joining us as usual, uh, Nick. Uh, you uh, uh, write for around the NFL at NFL.com, uh, and uh, we've got tons to talk about tonight with the Browns. Here uh, they are six and three. A uh, fantastic uh, uh, run of games here as they are in a mix of six teams at 6-3. and three. I was just talking about six teams. The first time since the uh, AFC and the NFC split that there have been six teams in the AFC with 6-3 and three record. That's pretty incredible, right? Yeah, it's a really deep conference. Um, you know, I always think about the cross-sport comparison to how the Western Conference has been so much stronger in the NBA for the last 10 to 15 years and how, you know, people consider it as such. We haven't really considered the AFC to be that. The NFL has had more parity. We've had uh, more balance between the conferences. By the time you get to the Super Bowl, it's kind of a toss-up most times on, on who's going to win because of that parity. And it makes for great football, of course, but this year it's very clear which conference is deeper or at least more competitive. The extra playoff spot also helps because you can see some of these 6-3 and three teams, you can see scenarios in which two of them could get in, where in, in, in previous years it would be one of them at the most. Um and, and then one of those other teams that might be battling for a division that's got, you know, like in the AFC North, for example, you have two, six and three teams. So if the Browns and Ravens had managed to finish each finish, what, 11 and five or close to it um, and ended up in wild card situations, that would be your two wild cards. Whereas now you're talking about that third team. So it yes. makes it more interesting. I think it was a great addition for the league um, before the whole pandemic started. It was a great addition for the league and, and, and expanding the playoffs and making it more exciting. But yeah, I mean, it's just so deep. It's really hard um, because the Browns are in a good position right now. You know, realistically speaking, they're in probably the best position they've been in since 2014 when the wheels fell off. Um, they're a better team now. They're a better coach team now. They, they're they're a deeper team now. They have a higher ceiling. Um, the The question, though, is because of all those teams that are at 6-3, and three, really, uh, what, what direction or, you know, what path do the Browns have to take in order to make sure that they make playoffs? Because they don't have a tiebreaker with the Raiders, who are right there. The Dolphins right. keep winning. Um, and, and seem to be a team that you're going to have to watch on the schedule and on the scoreboard every week for the rest of the season. 
and you've got a pretty favorable schedule, the second week of schedule remaining. The team that's got a weaker schedule is right in front of you in Baltimore. They're tied with you with Baltimore, but they got the tiebreaker on you right now. You're going to play them again. Basically, what it comes down to is you have to win the games that you're expected to win. So you got to beat Jacksonville. you got to beat both the New York teams. you got to beat Philadelphia. And then it comes down to those last other three games, which is Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Tennessee. Those are three teams that you know, you'll expect to be in the playoffs. Two of those teams were in the playoffs last year. Pittsburgh's undefeated and look as good as ever. Um, you got to get one of those wins over there to really make sure you get in the playoffs and also give yourself some confidence. I think, right. If you beat one of those teams in the regular yes. season, you get to wild card weekend, you probably face one of those teams again, whether it's Pittsburgh or Tennessee winning the AFC South. And you have to go into that knowing, Hey, we beat this team in the regular season. We can do this. Cause right now, and this might be to answer one of your questions that are coming up, but right now my ceiling for the Browns <laughs> is they are a wild card team. And they're a team that's going to get to wild card weekend and maybe score an upset and then exit in the divisional round. That's about as good as they are because of the injury to Odell, because of their defensive struggles. They're really not much better than that. But that's better than what people in this town have had for 20 years. So long time. Uh, so I think, you know, it's it's great, but it is going to be competitive. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be a lot of nail biting for Browns fans going forward. And you hope that they win the games that they're supposed to win. All right, so some tough questions here uh, as they as they go forward here. First of all, Kevin Stefanski, I think we can all agree that he's done an incredible job. You know, just even from Las Vegas to bye week to another weather game adjustment and able to win that one, right, um, and uh, all that. But the back-to-back weather games has kind of wreaked some havoc on, A, the evaluation that you can make on Baker Mayfield, um, and, uh, and then, you know, you got Nick Chubb back, um, and we've got PFF offensive line of the week. I knew you would love this stuff, right? With the, with the hog Molly's offensive line of the week. And of course, Wyatt Teller, PFF player of the week, right? So I want to ask you about Wyatt Teller and, and we've talked about him before, but, uh, they both, you know, both running backs go with 19 carries. They both go over 100 yards. They just chipped away at it. Stefanski was able to stay with the run game in the Texans game and eventually wear him down. It looked like Nick Chubb was a little, you know, had to get some, take some contact, get his get his legs underneath them, but ended up on that dominating, you know, drive at the end of it there to score and get the one touchdown that they needed to win the game. But with that offensive line getting that award and Wyatt Teller being as good as he he is and such a difference maker, like so you look at the run game without Wyatt Teller and then Wyatt Teller comes back and the run game looks completely different. It's like back to the way it was. Like how is this guy this good coming from what he was to now? Um, and you understand more than anybody that I talk to in football about the offensive line and things like this. How 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 is he this good all of a sudden? Um, I think it was, a, it's a case of a type of player. He is, um, he fits well in the scheme that they run. Obviously Bill Callahan's coaching has helped the entire unit, but really what they depend on is being cohesive and, and he does a very good job at fitting into that. And what they also do is they rely on him a lot, whether it's, you know, in the zone, everybody's pretty much got, uh, equal responsibility, but they're doing more than just that. They're getting him out in front. He's pulling, he's leading the way. There was actually a block he had on Sunday where he overshot his man a little bit. And it might've been a longer run if he hadn't overshot his man, which I kind of chalk up to just eagerness and not being out there for a while and really wanting to make the block and not quite getting there. Um, yeah. But he, he's just been very reliable and effective. And he was a guy that they really loved in Buffalo before he left and ended up in Cleveland. And um, I think getting a year uh, in, in the same town and, and obviously different systems and, and the, the COVID offseason, everything kind of getting in the way, but just being under the tutelage of Bill Callahan really has helped him a lot. And, and he's, he's a naturally effective guard, but it, a lot of times, and this is the case, with a lot of guys, it's about the system you're in. And I think he's in the right system with this team. 
And I also think he's blocking for the right types of running backs who are good at identifying all the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt have great vision. Nick Chubb's a great one cut runner. Kareem Hunt runs really hard as well. Nick Chubb's adept at breaking tackles. Um, and that always helps those guys out, you know, especially when they get to the second level and at least get a piece of some of these linebackers. I think that really makes a big difference um, in, in how, you know, how well they run the ball. And I think that he's been the best player, but he's also on a pretty talented offensive line. There's no real liabilities in that line when they're all healthy. And, um, and I think that type of situation is really conducive for him to reach his potential. He had the highest PFF grade in the entire league before he got hurt. And he's PFF player of the week. Uh, it's pretty good. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Pretty incredible there. Sorry. I lost you there. Uh, my uh, little ear thing kind of popped out of the, out of my ear there for a second, but, uh, Good stuff, though, on, on him. Of course, now, so now Chubb was out at the same time as Teller. So indirectly, did he gain value, basically, because he was out with Teller? I mean, you can almost kind of be like, I point to like, hey, he came back, Chubb comes back, and the running game is back. But it may have been more of Teller than it was Chubb, do you think? Um, I think that they did suffer without Teller a lot. Uh, you saw that in Kareem Hunt's yards per carry. Um, when you take a guy like Nick Chubb out of any offense, though, it makes you a little bit more predictable and easier to game plan for because it's one less guy you have to worry about as an opposing defense. So what opposing defenses were less worried about was, oh, man, what happens if Nick Chubb hits that hole in one cut and all of a sudden he's at the second level and there's Wyatt Teller blocking someone? Well, now both of them are gone. Now it's just we got to stop Kareem Hunt with a backup guard. Chris, Hub Chris Hubbard did a good job as a backup guard, but it's not Wyatt Teller. It's not you know the PFF player of the week. It's not the highest graded player in PFF's season. Um, so yeah. it's just less to worry about for a defense. makes things a little bit easier for them. I do think that Getting the back at the same time was key. I think if you got Teller back and it was just Kareem Hunt, he probably has a good day against Houston, which was the worst rushing defense in the NFL going into that game as well. Um, they get a they get a, a pretty easy matchup this week with the Eagles too, who have also struggled against the run. So, um, I think it's more Teller. I hate I don't I don't like to diminish Chubb's value because I think he's a fantastic running back. He's one of the top two or three running backs in the NFL. Um, but I do think that losing Teller made a bigger impact than losing Nick Chubb because they have Kareem Hunt and, and getting them both back at the right time just, you know, increased your chances of productivity. Yeah, uh, no question. Now, I want to talk to you real quickly before we move on from this and and uh, and talk about Baker and uh, some of the decisions the Browns have to make uh, as far as contract-wise at the end of the season and then the rest of the season here. Uh, rookie Jedrick Wells, so far, he grades out really well as a passing, pass blocking right. A little bit, has he struggled a little bit with the run blocking, it seems like, or at least that's what the grading has said uh, from PFF and whatnot. Um, where are you at with him as far as did the Browns like hit that hit on that pick? Does that look like the long-term solution at left tackle? So the, the first thing I look to for rookie tackles is, is this guy popping up on film as a liability, and Jedrick Wills hasn't been that guy this year. He's been solid. He hasn't been you know, all pro level yet, but you shouldn't expect that from a rookie right out of the gate. I mean, it's rare that you get a guy like Joe Thomas um, you know, in right. any draft class. So I think he's been very solid. I think his ceiling is high, and he's got plenty of room for improvement, but he hasn't been a liability at all, and I think that he kind of gets better with the weeks um, as they move on. You know, a lot of rookies talk about how the game slows down from year one to year two, so I think he'll take that next step. But, again, he's not a liability. He's not something that uh, somebody that I'm really concerned about. He gets beat every once in a while. He'll have a false start every once in a while. Those are rookie mistakes. Those are things that he'll learn from. But I, I'm very satisfied with that pick for them, just as satisfied as I was, uh, you know, the night they made the pick. And, and I think that they're going to continue to be satisfied. And, and left tackle for the first time since Joe Thomas retired is no longer uh, an issue for them, which is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. A, a huge relief there. So um, as far as 
this week goes, a little bit of a, uh, uh, you know, issue here. Could, could be an issue. We'll see how it goes. We've got Hubbard with a positive test already, right? And Conklin now on the on the list right uh i don't not i don't think he has a positive test yet but he is uh as far as contact tracing was included on the list or whatever so who plays right tackle if there's no hubbard no conklin come this weekend so when, when a guy lands on the list you know teams aren't allowed to say whether they had a positive test or if it was just close contact we usually we rely on our insiders to give us that information so far we haven't gotten right. that information um, but in that in that instance, it would be Kendall Lamb, uh, who was signed last year as okay. a free agent from Houston, and stepped in um, in between. You know, when when whether it was Greg Robinson who got hurt or um, whether it was Hubbard who got hurt at right tackle, uh, Kendall actually got thrown into action in Week One last year, so he was thrown right into the fire very early. Uh, he's a he's a guy I like just as a person, a hard worker, an honest guy, uh, uh, almost painfully honest with you at times. Um, dedicated to his craft, very serious about it. Also a guy you like in the community. Uh, he takes, you know, that type of thing very seriously, community service and everything else based on his background. He, he's told me before, you know, face-to-face, -face, I understand the value of a dollar. You know, I'm not going to go out and blow my money. He's a mature guy. And I think he's a guy who's going to take preparation very seriously and give it his all uh, in place of, um, of Jack Conklin if he's playing right tackle um, as expected. So uh, I think they were wise to hang on to him after last year. Uh, obviously wasn't a difficult thing considering he's got a pretty favorable contract, but um, he, you know, hopefully he can step up and play. I do think it's a, it's a downgrade, of course, from Jack Conklin. That's otherwise you wouldn't go out and spend that type of money on a tackle in the off season. Uh, right. Hubbard would probably do a bang up job as well, right tackle if he was available, but he's not. Again, Conklin could be made available if he, you know, if he was just a close contact and test negative consecutively. Uh, we're not at that point yet. So right now it is Kendall Lamb. He was the guy who was taking the reps today in practice. So I do think that um, you should plan for that. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if he's out there. And um, and I expect adequate play. I don't expect anything spectacular, but all you really need is adequate play from your right tackle when you have the strength of an offensive line like the Browns do everywhere else. So uh, not a huge okay. concern, but definitely something that you could watch a little bit. Okay. Very cool. Um, qu quick question for you here. I thought this one would be interesting. With the weather, right? So they've had 50 mile hour per winds. Uh, it's been crazy the last two games. Should the Browns go retractable roof next time they build a, a stadium in Cleveland? Um, if they want a Super Bowl, yeah. Um, it depends because I think for a long time, you know, when they built this stadium, they rushed it. There's not a lot of um, architectural uniqueness to it, and that's because they rushed it. They got it built in what, less than three years' time, uh, and I think the renovations gave it a little bit of character, but for the most part, it is what it was when it was built in 1999. It's a, It's an adequate stadium it's not going to be considered one of the state-of-the-art stadiums in the nfl at this point which is 21 years old so i wouldn't anticipate that but right. um you can't put a dome over the current one it's not feasible if they did build it somewhere else <laughs> we're talking about uh, a different location so it depends on where that might be um i know that right now the haslam's especially d haslam has spent a lot of time and effort into trying to de develop the lakefront um there has been talks about the closing <clears throat> lakefront airport which they've done in santa monica it takes about 10 years uh, to close an airport according to F, uh, was FAA regulations. Uh, yeah. So that wouldn't happen anytime soon, but I, I do know it's something that they're exploring in terms of location. I, for one, am interested in a retractable roof. Uh, I finally came to that conclusion last week after watching the game because I live a few blocks away from the stadium. So I'm in my apartment watching, you know, three games at once as I do every Sunday. I'm watching the Browns game and I'm looking out my window and I'm watching it snow and, and sleet and, and we had that great yeah. thunderstorm just before the game that was, that was wild. 
Um, Cleveland does that. This is Ohio. I mean, we're used to this type of weather. This is what you get every year, especially when you're along the lake. Things get unpredictable, and it makes for kind of ugly football right now. Browns fans, especially the older generation, love to pride themselves on, uh, we're a a fan base that's not afraid of the elements, and we're a team that can win in the elements. But that's not really where modern football is now. So, um, again, if you want the the big ticket events, you want the Super Bowls, you want the Final Fours, you know, you have the, the, you know, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse down the street for that type of thing. You really want the final fours, for example, um, then you, you do go build a retractable dome, uh, kind of like what they have in Indianapolis, I think would be that, that stadium. I think lacks a little character in the times that I've been there. It's kind of like a warehouse playing football in a warehouse. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that type of design for them, but the, in that basic theoretical sense, I would go with the retractable roof that allows you to open it when it's nicer out or when you want to get some cool weather in there and it's not insane. Um, I do know that the sports commission here has been very focused on attracting big events. The city itself has been focused on attracting big events. Um, you, know, you had the RNC in 2016, uh, you yep. get the draft here in the spring, you're going to get the NBA all-star weekend the following year. You had the all-star game in baseball last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. So they're very obviously into, um, attracting the big events, building a retractable roof, uh, stadium would definitely get you that it would get you a Super Bowl. It's kind of how the NFL operates. If you build a stadium with a dome like that, they pretty much give you at least one. They gave gave one to Detroit. They gave one to, to Minnesota and Minneapolis, the U.S. Bank Stadium. They even gave one to New York when they built a stadium there. And, and that was an outdoor stadium, but they wanted to try it out, and it worked out for them. They got lucky with the weather. So uh, if you do want those events and you do build a retractable roof, it really comes down to feasibility, finances, and, um, and location. And I think that's a lot of stuff they still have to figure out. But if it were me, I would be in favor of it just because of the way the pro game's going. And if you're trying to maximize your chances to win, I think the Browns probably beat the Raiders in, in a better weather game. They managed to pull it out against the Texans. Probably have a lot more points if the weather's not bad. You hope that the weather's not bad against the Eagles. Uh, it's probably the biggest thing that's going to get in their way there. But they are a run first team, at least now. So it does still kind of play in their favor. But long term, yeah. the pro game's going, I think a retractable roof would definitely be uh, uh, on their side. Yeah. Uh, I, I do too. I was against it for a long time, but just the like you were mentioning, the, the Final Fours, the Super Bowl, the big events, just the the things that it would open up for you there. I think is is such a huge plus um, that I never really took account for before. Uh, let's get to the uh, hot topic here. And you, first of all, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland live for the first time with special guest. Nick Shook, uh, writing over at NFL.com and around the NFL. Um, so, Nick, uh, let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Uh, so, like I kind of mentioned at the top, I was talking about it at, at the top of the show, that the, the weather wreaked havoc in their ability to evaluate him. Well, you know, two, two games ago we were going, okay, you got eight games to evaluate Baker Mayfield before you got to make this decision on his fifth-year extension which now is guaranteed and is a ton of money, right? Like it's legit, what, like $25 million or something like that. So it is, it is a, you're signing a check that is going to cash and and it's a big deal. Um, He has been difficult to evaluate, obviously, because he's been up and down. Um, You know, if I look at the game against the Texans, I, I can evaluate it and say like, he did what he had to do, and he made one of the biggest plays of the games for me is that throw to Higgins on third and 18. Uh, you know, Higgins is bracketed. He throws a dart out there on the sideline. I mean, that was probably the best throw of the day by either quarterback, and it was a, a huge moment, you know what I mean? So I think that the way that he played, didn't turn it over, made a big play there, uh, did what he had to do for them to win, was was huge 
for the team. But once again, it's really difficult to evaluate him in a weather game like that. Same with Las Vegas. And then you had some good games and some some not-so-good games. Uh, where do you think Andrew Barry and the front office are with him? Uh, where are you with him at this point as far as that fifth-year extension and that guarantee goes? And then I've got another question on top of that after you answer that. Um, I think you pick up the extension because you haven't given, uh, you have not given him the, the best set of circumstances to really develop so far. Uh, you hope right. that you turn the corner with the hiring of Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, and that you'll get some sort of continuity going forward. And really, you don't, you really don't have a complete picture of him. But what you do have is somebody who is at least uh, doing an adequate job. And I keep using the word adequate, but. In, in this town with this team, they've had so much less than that for so many years. Um, I know that folks here are obsessed with the draft. I know the draft always hits the highest ratings in these markets because this is all that Browns fans have had for a long time. And they are almost inclined to look at the next crop and wonder if that guy wound up in brown and orange and lead them to victory. But right now you've got a quarterback who's got you at six and three. Um, he hasn't yeah. been great, but he's been good enough. And he's been through two tough weather games in a row and they've won one of them and lost one of them. And I, and I think that, um, I, you kind of throw those games out the window when you look at evaluation and you, and I lean back on that win over the Bengals and the drive that he led there. I mean that he, he was ice cold, you know, ice water in his veins uh, yeah. all the way down the field and led them to a victory that was pretty un- improbable. And that's the type of stuff that people often ask is, can you, you know, if the ball's in his hands, can you go win you the game? Well, he proved to you that he can, uh, which is more than you could say for most quarterbacks that have been in Cleveland in the last 20 years. So you give him the fourth, you know, you, you go into the fourth year with him still as your quarterback, you pick up the option ahead of time. And then you hope that either, he proves that he's worth an extension after that, or you figure it out, you cut your losses and move on kind of like how Tampa Bay did with Jameis Winston. Now, if you're the Browns in that scenario, you're not going to end up with Tom Brady, but that's not really what you plan for. What you plan for is to try to get the most complete evaluation as possible before you extend the guy. And I think cutting that short, just because you're worried about the money would be a foolish move when you've got a guy who still could potentially be your franchise quarterback and has you at a six and three record right now. So you let him finish the season and hopefully he finishes it strong and you feel better about it going into the off season. You pick up the option, you let him play his last two years out and then you go from there right now. I think he is the guy. And, and I think that you just need more time to evaluate because when he's good, he's, he's pretty damn good. And, and I know he makes his mistakes and he's got things that he needs to improve on, but uh, that comes with time. That comes with comfort. That comes with reliable protection, which he's starting to get this year, and with personnel around him. And, um, and I think he just needs more time to demonstrate that. And right now, he hasn't done enough, definitely, to get rid of him. Uh, and I think that that should be enough. The bar might be low in that case, but with this team, the bar's been pretty low. So uh, you keep riding, yeah. and, and you pick up that option, then you go from there. Okay, so there's two different kinds of ways to look at this, I think. So... You can ask the question, is it best for our team to keep him as the quarterback right now, right? And that seems like that the answer to that question would be an obvious yes. I think that changing quarterbacks now would just kind of be uh, just not productive. Uh, but the other question that you have to ask yourself, I think, if you're the front office is, is he good enough to win anything of significance, which are two different questions. And if your answer is no to can he win anything of significance, eventually you have to make a change because your ultimate goal is to win a Super Bowl. And if you decide to do that, how do you make that transition when the arrow is pointed up on a team like the Browns? Like well, that's a difficult yeah. set of scenarios, that, right? That's a tough because it depends on how you define significance. Um, to me, significance is getting to the playoffs. 
significant okay. from, there, from there becomes winning a playoff game and then winning another playoff game. I think that's something that you build toward. I think they're working on that path right now. I think they got the right guy at head coach, which is extremely important, arguably more important than the quarterback. And, you know, you give them a few years to figure out if they can prove it. And um, a big, big first step would be making the playoffs this year. Another big step would be getting that playoff win and, and then kind of demonstrating that this is a team that, be, that should be taken seriously. They have enough talent offensively. They still have some work to do defensively. And that's why I kind of don't trust them to get out of the wild card round if they get there because I don't think that they have the defense for it. That's something you address in the offseason. Um, Grant Delpit's injury obviously hurt them on the back end, but you also need to address the linebacking core, which I expect them to do in the offseason. And, uh, and you keep rolling there. I don't think it's time to consider a change. Um, there also has to be the right guy there. Uh, it's not often that you get a guy like Justin Herbert that you just put it in and he, and he shines. Nobody really expected mm-hmm. that when they drafted him. He was just kind of the guy who was taken after two attack of Iloa. So um, that's been a, a pleasant surprise for the Chargers. And it's not something that you can plan for or aim for. You just have to uh, kind of figure out what you've got and, and let him exhaust all of his options to prove to you uh, that he's the guy before you consider making a change. And then you hope that it lines up with a class that has talented guys. You know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of somebody, you know, of, of trading up and getting Justin Fields and pulling the plug on Baker Mayfield this year. I don't, I don't think that's necessary right now, especially no. are. now if things take a turn, he's awful and they lose a bunch of games, they miss the playoffs, then maybe you consider that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think you give him another year at that point and uh, just kind of hope that the chips fall in your favor and uh, that you've got the right guy, but there's so many factors that are involved. You have to have the replacement. You have to have the Kyler Murray that you're able to take a number one that also fits your scheme perfectly in order to move on from a Josh Rosen. And you have to kind of have to be in the same situation with Baker Mayfield. And and I don't see the Browns being in that position because they're competitive. They're not going to have a high pick. And um, also because I don't think it's necessary. You can address other positions with that pick that you get in the first round and kind of continue forward and then eventually figure out if he's your guy. But, um, but, but, you know, the significance for me is getting the playoffs, then winning a playoff game, then winning multiple playoff games. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to be a guy who's going to lead you back to victory in a Super Bowl, at least now. Right. We don't know that long yeah. term. Uh, you got to get to that point first. And, um, you know, let, let's not forget the fact that back in 2002, Kelly Holcomb was throwing the Browns to what looked to be a playoff victory before they fell apart in defense. And I don't think anybody held that against Kelly Holcomb. And Baker Mayfield's much better than Kelly Holcomb was. So uh, you can get it done without a Patrick Mahomes um, and still be a competitive football team. And and I think right now you don't need to make a change if it's not broken. That's a good point. uh, That, uh, yeah. So it it certainly seems like that's the path. Do you think there's any way that they just um, hold off on the extension? Don't use the extension and they say they want to see a fourth year. And then if, if you decide at that point that you want to extend them, then you're just giving them a deal at that point. Yeah. I mean, believe it or not, I think this year has a lot of significance for that. Um, because if he leads them to a playoff victory, you know, you could be in a position where you get him an extension. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility for that to happen. And you probably get him at a better rate than you would say two years from now, if he continues on that path. Um, so no there question. is advantage, advantages to making that type of move. Is it premature? Maybe a little bit. I would like to see that fourth year play out before he even gets to the fifth year. Then maybe you talk the extension, you include the fifth year in it, you wrap it into and you get him, you know, for five years or whatever it is. You don't give him the 10 year contract that Kansas city gave Mahomes because again, he's not Mahomes. but, um, you, you do, I think it, it, you do consider it if, if it really, if he really finishes this season strong. And if he doesn't, you just let it ride out and, and kind of go there. You got a couple of paths you could take. And, and right now you kind of just let it lead you, you know, let their, his play and their performance lead you in one direction or the other, and then just roll with it from there. Yeah, it makes sense. You're listening to all eyes on Cleveland special guest tonight, Nick shook joining us 
and uh, I want to switch switch sides of the ball here, Nick, and go over to the defense, right? So uh, the defense forced one punt in two games prior to Sunday's win. So uh, they were getting uh, kind of uh, beat up, obviously, teams walking up and down the field on them pretty much for two consecutive weeks uh, there, uh, moving the ball. And then on Sunday, uh, coming out of the bye week, all of a sudden they they looked much better. They got pressure on Watson. Uh, When they did get pressure on him, I I thought they did a very good job of not over-pursuing and not leaving him running lanes they you know um they went for the first time very interesting i thought that since we heard joe woods talk a lot about um nick in the preseason wanting to work that three safety look into his defense right and then grant delpa got hurt and we didn't we haven't seen it since then because basically he really didn't have the weapons to do it. At this point, then now out of coming out of the bye week, we see some of that. We saw probably uh, we saw it on third downs a couple times, maybe five, six, seven times. He went out on the field with Ronnie Harrison, Sandejo, and Sheldrick Redwine. Surprisingly, gets seventeen snaps. Um, and I thought that Ronnie Harrison playing that hybrid uh, Viper position did a really good job. He was able to get pressure. He played the run well and did really well in coverage against uh, maybe some of your mismatches like tight ends and stuff like that. Um, So I thought the defense did a good job and showed some good adjustments there. But a lot of people are writing that off to the weather. Like, eh, they couldn't throw the ball. Watson's, you know, that's what they depend on. They have no run game. Where you stand with this, do you give some credit to the defense there, or is this more of just like, hey, we don't know yet. Let's wait until we see a a nice sunny day to judge the defense. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Okay. Andrew Sadejo is a a complete liability. Um, Yes. The advanced metrics, you know, like uh, expected points added, which kind of values uh, a player's impact in one way or the other on the the outcome of the game. Uh, Andrew Sadejo had the worst expected points added uh, in the entire league among defensive backs, I believe among safeties might've been even been all defenders. It was really high. It was like 42 points uh, for the season, which is a lot. Um, But I think that if you add in Delpit, this is a better group. There's no guarantee that Delpit's super effective as a rookie, but I think he's better than Sandejo is. Um, I like Ronnie Harrison. I think that he could do a lot for your team. The interesting thing for me was that Carl Joseph didn't play. Um, Yes. He went out and signed for a year and had played effectively early in the year. He's, he's not the most mobile safety that there is. He's got kind of tight hips. Um, but you know, he was effective early in the year and, and didn't see any snaps. I thought it was interesting at, based on, I think it was more of a reaction to Houston's speed with Brandon cooks and, and will fuller. You want a faster guy back there, which is why you see more of red wine. Um, I think red wine ultimately could be a replacement for Sandejo down the line if they trust him enough. Um, because obviously, you know, he's not, Sandejo is not achieving, uh, you know, he's not reaching the bar, uh, on the back end of the defense. So I think it is a weakness. Um, I think, you know, the defense has improved a little bit, but I, I, I think that that's mostly because of the, the pressure that they get with their front four, which is really excellent, um, has been for the majority of the year, whether you go from uh, Miles Garrett, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, or Olivier Vernon, those are all four very reliable guys. I think Porter Gustin's a nice little rotational player, too, that they kind of found off the scratch, yes. who was good at USC when he was healthy. He just couldn't stay healthy. Um, and, and so he's, he's kind of made an impact. But that's the strength of the defense is their defensive front. Uh, linebacking, we know that it's a bunch of veterans that are basically filling in the gaps, plus Mac Wilson, uh, and, and it's not the greatest group. And then you've got to deal with Sandejo on the back end. So there's a lot of room for improvement. 
I think they played well against Houston in part because of the weather. Um, you know, Watson is a guy who would probably lead them to a more competitive performance, even without a run yeah. game if the weather's nicer. Uh, so that played in their favor. So I think it's a little bit of both, like you, like you had uh, kind of asked and alluded to. Um, you know, we'll get a better example of that in the weeks ahead, but I do think they have a schedule that kind of favors them too. So if you shut down Philly, that's expected. Uh, you, if you force turnovers, Philly has a huge turnover issue. Uh, so far this year, Carson Wentz has not been good. If you pressure him a lot, um, I think you're going to see positive results from there. Again, it comes down to those three games, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. If they can perform well in one of those games, they might end up with a win, and then you're starting to feel a little bit better about them. But overall on paper, and if we're looking at, you know, no matter the opponent, it's still not a great group. It still is a, is a defense that needs a lot of um, addressing in the offseason, but this is what you have right now, so you just kind of hope for the best when you're going forward in this season. Okay. Uh, I, I like that answer. Now let, let's – let's uh, I got a number of names here. So uh, when it comes to player extensions, I want to get some thoughts uh, on where you're at with some of these guys. Okay, Nick? Um, obviously, Larry Ogunjobi – uh, we've, I think we talked about this before on my show, even maybe uh, on a prior show. But, you know, he's a free agent or will be uh, going into free agency. I basically said if you want to keep him, Barry needs to offer him a contract yesterday. Basically, if he if he sees the free agency market, somebody's going to overpay for him over the mark that the brands value him at, and he's going to walk. Uh, if, in my opinion, uh, where are you at with Ogunjobi? Do you feel like that's somebody that you want to hang on to? Is he a culture? Is he a glue guy? Or are you at this point like okay with with him going and letting Elliot kind of slide in there as a natural, you know? No, I, th I think you keep Larry. I think you do what you have to do to keep him. Uh, he's a guy that works hard. He pays attention to um, taking care of his body. He's very, very much uh, in tune with that. Um, he's a guy who continues to get better and make an impact on a weekly basis. And you also have to look at Sheldon Richardson's contract, which ends after next year, and you have to start to plan ahead. And I think Larry Ogunjobi should be in your plans ahead, and then, and then you slide in the younger kid alongside him once Richardson's contract expires, and, and uh, you know Vernon's contract will also expire, so that's another position that you're going to have to address. But you don't let a guy like that walk. He's young, he's promising, he continues to get better. I think he should be a part of their plans going forward. Interesting. Very good. Uh, that's, you know, that's, it's a tough spot for me because he's been kind of up and down uh, this year. But uh, at the beginning of the year, I was very much – an advocate to having him sign just because he feels like a part of, hey, you want to change the culture here? He's one of those guys that's your guy and you want to keep him around, right? Um, Denzel Ward uh, will get that fifth-year option as well as a first-round pick. That's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you keep him. He's been playing very well this year. He had an up-and-down down year last year, but <clears throat> when he's healthy – He's an effective guy, and uh, he's been better, I think, than people even realize this year. So you definitely keep him. Okay. And then uh, what about a guy like B.J. Goodson? Okay, so he, to me, he has played – all right, their linebackers are not great. Let's, let's be honest. So th I'll give you a two-part question here. B.J. Goodson, though, has played the most out of all of them, I think, in snaps and has been the most consistent – uh, of the linebackers now would he is he a guy he's on a one-year deal is he a guy that you want to keep around here in cleveland uh like next season or uh do you feel comfortable moving on to this younger 
group and out of that group are there any guys that you see that could stick like for example Mac Wilson hasn't been very good this year uh although I am very intrigued by uh Phillips right so uh, you know I think that uh it's interesting what they have at linebacker or is this just kind of a wash and they need to get some new talent someplace else I think I think that you you know, you stick with the young guys you have. I still like Mac's potential. Um, okay. Battling through injuries this year, he obviously had that knee injury right before the start of the season that for sure um, affected him. Um, and I think if you're looking for a veteran presence, you try to keep Goodson at a, at a very cheap deal. It's probably possible because he hasn't been great. He hasn't played, you know, to the level that's going to get him like a Joe Schobert contract, for example, which Jacksonville definitely overpaid for him. No surprise right. there. Um, <laughs> and and I think if you're, you know, if you're looking for that veteran presence, that stopgap kind of guy, then you keep him. And then you work on addressing your linebacking core through the draft and through free agency. They're going to have a ton of cap space to work with. They also have a lot of extensions that are coming up, as we had already discussed. But um, that should be a fairly affordable guy to keep if you want to keep him. Um, as a veteran presence back there. And really it's almost like a body count thing where you just got to have a guy who you could depend on to go out there and play a considerable amount of snaps and not be a liability. And I think that's what he is right now. So you probably try to strike a cheap deal one or two years uh, and, and, and kind of just uh, stem the tie a little bit before you move forward with younger guys that you acquire in the draft or in free agency. Okay. So um, let me ask you this then. Uh, anybody else that you want to, well, you have Billings coming back next year, which is interesting on the, you know, uh, on the, covid uh one year red shirt deal right uh, the opt-out so that, that'll be nice to help the interior there i think he would have helped a ton this year actually um and uh anybody else that you can think of on that defense i mean obviously i think that ronnie harrison should be a you know you should look at him as the starting safety next to delpit in the future is that where you're at with him i mean he showed a lot to me yeah, I mean, it depends on what Joe Woods wants to do with his personnel. Um, obviously, he doesn't seem to be, be, a, be a very big fan of Carl Joseph at this point. So Harrison yeah. is a guy that you work on retaining. Um, he's a guy that you know you got for basically nothing in a trade. So um, you keep him around on his rookie deal, and then you eventually extend him um, as long as he's still, you know, fits the bill for what you're looking for at the safety position. But um I, yeah, I think um, for the most part, you still need to address this defense through the draft and through free agency. So I think you're going to see a decent amount of changes. Um, the big question that you haven't seen anybody or anything from this year is Greedy Williams at corner. Um, you know, he's yeah. your number two corner. And he hasn't been there all year. So that's also been a liability for them that they've been battling through with Terrence Mitchell and with some other guys. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think that you're going to see some changes at safety, dump it back next year, uh, and then you kind of go from there. So, uh, circling back here to look at this AFC picture here before I let you go, Nick, and you've been fantastic as always. Thank you. I have just a couple more questions for you. Listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, live with Nick Shook of NFL.com. Nick, uh, so um, if you look at the uh, AFC picture, boy, the Colts win looks really good right now, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, I think they lucked out. Darius Leonard didn't play in that game, and I think that made a big difference. Darius Leonard, when, when he's on the field, the Colts are a much better defense than they are without him, and I think you saw that in the results of that game and how they played going forward. And I also think they did a good job of, of flustering Phillip Rivers and causing him to make mistakes, which he's proven this year. If you do that, then you have a good chance to beat them, even with their good defense and Darius Leonard on the field. So that does look like a good win, but um, that win alone is not going to get you in the playoffs. So you're going to have to string together some more wins, no doubt. 
No question. No question. Um, yeah, all these six and three teams. I think it's interesting that the Ravens lost. They fall to six and three. Boy, that Monday nighter could shape up to be a huge game, right? Uh, the Browns and the and the Ravens chance to uh, kind of. Uh, uh, really legitimize themselves in that game and, and, and even jump ahead of them in the standings. Um, one thing the Browns have not had to really face yet is the replacing of Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, due to the lack of needing to really pass the last two weeks a lot. Uh, they are going to need somebody, as we even saw it in the last game, uh, to take the top off the defense and at least threaten that um, it, it appears to me, Nick, that, um, you know, teams are just running eight guys up in the box, and that's the way it's going to be until they show them something different. I kind of look at Donovan Peoples-Jones like he would be the ideal guy for that for me. Um, but, you know, after his game winner, he got like three snaps against the Raiders and, and didn't do much in the last game. Thoughts on what they can do there, what their plans should be to do to keep, keep teams honest, make sure that they have to play two safeties back uh, and not and not keep guys up in the box here because you know they're going to be trying to stop the Browns' run game. Yeah, I think they lack a little bit of a deep threat without Odell. Um, you're seeing a lot more defenders up in the box than you did when Odell was on the field. I think that's going to continue to be the case going forward. Jarvis Landry's play is, of course, extremely important as he battles through what I believe was a cracked rib uh, and continues to gut it out. He's a tough guy, and he's going to continue to play as long as possible and make an impact for you. Um, but I think they really lucked out with getting Rashard Higgins on a very cheap deal to continue playing with Baker Mayfield, who he loves playing with. Um, and he's, he's come up clutch a few times and kind of returned to the form that we saw a couple seasons ago after basically getting iced out of the action last year by the former coaching staff led by Freddie Kitchens. So, yeah, um, you know, that's, that's a, a big break for them. So if you look at receiving core, it's basically Landry uh, Higgins and uh, you know, people's Jones and Kaderil Hodge, if he wants to get involved as well. Um, you're relying more on your tight ends and you're relying on uh, the play of Austin Hooper when he's available, David Njoku and Harrison Bryant, who's been a, a surprise to some. If you watch his FAU tape, shouldn't be that surprising. That's the type of tight end he is. And he's made the jump pretty well to the NFL so far. So it's kind of more of a, um, a, a balanced receiving core when you include all the tight ends there. And, and of course they're a run first team. So they're going to run out a lot of uh, two tight end sets and, and take advantage of that. Um, so that's probably the best you can do right now. Uh, maybe you go after a guy in the offseason. Um, but, again, you're going to get Odell back. I don't like the trade talk of Odell. I think you keep running with him. Um, you still haven't really seen what you can get from him except for glimpses. His injury was extremely unfortunate, um, and I think it's going to hurt the offense. But it's not going to hurt it as much as you'll expect because they weren't that type of team that throws for 350 yards a game anyway. They're more of a run-reliant team, and that's still their strength, and that's their best path to victory. Um, so – you know, it's an issue, I think, um, but it's not something that you should lose sleep over. You just kind of roll with what you've got and uh, hope it gets you there. Well said. Well said. I, you know, I guess they were going to work a package in for Taewon Ty- Taylor in the one game, and then because uh, of the weather, they pulled it in the Raiders game, and because of the weather, they never got to it. Uh, that's kind of an interesting thought, too. I, I had never even gone there, but uh, maybe somebody they could explore with some speed, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, Taewon showed some glimpses when he was in Tennessee earlier in his career. He wasn't really much in fact at the bottom of the depth chart last year. I'm also a little intrigued by the practice squad signing of uh, Derek Willies, who had a really Derek nice Derek Willies back in the back yeah. in the mix. Yeah, he had a really nice camp in 2019, and he was just a kind of a victim of the numbers game. And if they're looking for a bigger bodied receiver, who can make a play or two. 
they can elevate him uh, from the practice squad, but it's a good depth signing and, and break glass in case of emergency type of situation for the receiving core, which they're not there yet. Um, and I think they have enough to kind of uh, roll with the punches and again, rely on that tight end group to, uh, you know, and, and Kareem Hunt catching the ball out of the backfield. You know, they have plenty mm-hmm. of options still even without Odell. Yeah, um, certainly. Uh, so that's what I have for you there, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. You've uh, been fantastic as always. You're a, a gentleman and a scholar, and I appreciate you uh, coming on for my first uh, live show here. So uh, working through some of the kinks uh, here on the first one. But I appreciate appreciate you coming on. Uh, you did a fantastic job as always, and, and thank you so much, sir. What uh, You want to... Uh, Pimp anything you're doing right now? Uh, no, as always, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at the Nick Shook, which is the, because at Nick Shook got taken by a pastor in Indiana years ago, and he yes. lost me, so I can't get his handle back. We all know that story now. Yes. And uh, if you want to read any of my stuff, nfl.com slash shook. Um, there we have, I think it's actually published now, my weekly position power rankings. This week we're looking at 10 players set to make their first Pro Bowl appearance based on their nice. uh, performance so far this year, and we'll also be talking about that tomorrow on NFL Network in the one o'clock hour of NFL now. So you can tune in for that as well. There you go. That's awesome. Uh, tune in and uh, pay attention to everything that Nick is doing. Follow him on Twitter at the Nick shook. Thank you again, sir. You're a gentleman and a scholar and uh, I'll be in touch. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much to the one and only Nick Shook. I am split in half. I am not anymore. Thank you to Nick Shook so much for uh, coming on the show. He's fantastic. Uh, follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. He does great work over at NFL.com. So uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, the first episode. Obviously, uh, working through some of this stuff here live for the first time, so I appreciate your patience and uh, everybody uh, that has uh, tuned in to watch. Make sure you hit the subscribe uh, button and the notification bell and the like button on your way out. A uh, couple uh, statistics real quick. Now, to listen, tomorrow night, uh, back same time, 4 o'clock actually, tomorrow night, we will be uh, on with uh, Doug LaMaurice of The Plain Dealer talking more Browns football. 
and uh, that will be uh, for sure a good show. As Doug is awesome as always, and uh, looking forward to that for sure. Um, I want to thank everybody, uh, Mikey, on the ones and twos, um, and uh, on the production side of things. Uh, this is all eyes on Cleveland Live show where we interview uh, the uh, most. Uh, intriguing personalities in the national and Cleveland sports landscape uh, discussing the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns. Sponsored by BetOnLive and Thrive Fantasy app. Uh, Go to BetOnline and uh, check out uh, everything that you can get there, all your um, lines for this weekend, your futures uh, bets and whatnot. So um, we covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover at the beginning. We've got uh, Carson Wentz and the the Eagles coming to town. Uh, Travis Fulcom, five catches in 70 receiving yards in four of his last five games. Uh, guy came out of nowhere playing tremendous football for the Eagles. Um, they, you know, I think that they will... You know, look to use Miles Sanders a lot. Look to run in the run game. Carson Wentz has been very prone to the turnover. He's a guy that's been extremely uneven in his play this year uh, as he sits now with, what, uh, 12 touchdowns and 12 interceptions while Baker sits at 15 and 7. So we'll get a better chance to hopefully evaluate Baker in the uh, windy but not quite 50 mile per hour winds that we will face uh, on Sunday um, and hopefully it's dry and not rainy although that is in question as well I uh, appreciate everybody listening to the show tonight we're going to get up and out of here uh, tune in tomorrow night make sure you hit subscribe uh, and the like button and the notification bell so you are notified every time that we are coming live to you on All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, and with that, for Mikey on the ones and twos, I am Brad Ward. This has been the first ever All Eyes on Cleveland live edition uh, on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. We uh, are out.